is this something that you want to do? So many folks find mom or dad's will, see that they're named as executor, and say, well, I have to do this. And they feel a sense of obligation, certainly out of love for their family member. But sometimes that's not going to be what's best for you or what's best for the estate. So I want folks to know that this is not a have to do. This is a want to do. Marissa Bagasra is an associate with Small and Plevy and admitted to practice law in Virginia, D.C. and Maryland. Her practice areas include estate planning, estate administration, and probate litigation. I learned so much from this brief conversation with Marissa. And a few weeks ago, Marissa and I got together to discuss a very important topic and one that is very relevant to so many of you, namely how to decide whether or not you should even agree to assume the role of executor, what questions you should consider when making this decision, how to assess the complexity of your estate, the implications of assuming this role, and important pitfalls to avoid. Prior to joining Small and Plevy, Marissa was a law clerk for John Russ, the commissioner of accounts for Fairfax County, and the information and skills that she acquired there continue to enable her to make a significant impact here locally with her firm. Welcome to an all-new episode of Probate Navigated. This is the show where I dive deep into probate so that you can successfully resolve your estate with confidence and have a story to tell. We believe that confusing complexity is the enemy to successfully resolving your estate, and an educated and sophisticated executor with the right team is the best way to defeat that enemy and win in probate. I'm your host, Jonathan Smith, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Marissa. Marissa, welcome to the Probate Navigated Show. Thanks so much, John. A pleasure to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you. I know that what you're going to speak to today is so very helpful, and so many listeners that are listening to this show are consistently asking this question, and many of them just don't know what to do with it, and so I couldn't be more excited to have you on the show, and I'd love to start right here, Marissa, just to let the listeners know a little bit more about you. How did you get started as an attorney serving clients in probate? So estate administration and probate is something that I've been interested in since law school, It was important to me to go into a field where I was working with people and could make a concrete impact uh, on their lives. Mm. The thing about probate is we all have to go through it at some point in our lives. You know, unfortunately, loved ones pass and it's a really difficult time. But what's so rewarding to me is being able to come in, take the burden to some extent off of my clients and help them through this difficult time. So when I was in my last year of law school, I started as a law clerk for the commissioner of accounts for Fairfax County, who oversees the administration of decedents' estates. And then upon passing the bar, I moved into private practice here in Smolin Plebe, and I've been doing estate administration work ever since. That's excellent. So Marissa, let me ask you this question. What advice would you give someone who has a great heart, just like you do, getting into this industry because you want to make a concrete difference in people's lives? What advice would you give them just starting out as an estate attorney? 
you have to listen. That's good. So much of what I do is really the counselor side of attorney and counselor at law. It's so important to allow your clients to tell their stories and tell you about their families, tell you about their loved one. Oftentimes, you can go into a meeting and think you know exactly what a client needs. But we're not parts of these families, and there are things that you know, are years in the past that all of a sudden can become really important in the administration of an estate. So it's important sometimes to just give folks the floor and they can reveal something in the course of a conversation that maybe you wouldn't have even thought to ask that can be a major complication in the future. So that would be my main bit of advice. That is excellent. I often tell my kids, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. And yet, it's one of those interesting things that growing up in school, I was never really taught how to be a good listener. Uh, it's one of those skills that I think is easily assumed. And then when you try and practice it, it can often feel so wooden. So I think it's so important when you can sit down with someone who's actually a skillful listener and who's not necessarily thinking about the next question to ask, but just intently listening to you so that they can, they can help you and advise you in any way. So really glad to have you here on the show. And here's the main question, Marissa, that we really wanted to have you come speak to. It's one that so many people ask and few have a real clear answer to. So let's get right into it. And here it is. How should someone or how does someone know if they should agree to act as an executor of an estate? Well, you're right, Jonathan. This is such a big question. And I think there are a lot of misconceptions about it. So I'm happy to go through some questions that I think folks should ask themselves. That's great. Before they undertake this. And before I get into it, I want to be very specific that this is based on the rules in Virginia. Every state has very different rules on administering estates. um, And and what I'm going to talk about is general advice and is not legal advice for any particular person. But this is where I get started with my clients. Good, good. So the first thing we want to talk about is, is this something that you want to do? So many folks find mom or dad's will, see that they're named as executor and say, well, I have to do this. And they feel a sense of obligation, certainly out of love for their family member. But sometimes that's not going to be what's best for you or what's best for the estate. So I want folks to know that this is not a have to do, this is a want to do. And so here are some some other things that we think about in talking about to that central question, do you want to do this? You need to think about what sort of time do you have on your hands? Being a fiduciary, it comes with a huge time commitment. Uh, In Virginia, generally a fiduciary has to appear before the circuit court in order to be appointed as executor or administrator. So you need to think about, you know, certainly that time. And then you're going to be in charge of marshalling all of the deceased person's assets. You're going to be calling banks. You're going to be calling credit card companies. You're going to be talking with all of the different beneficiaries of the estate 
all of it takes a lot of time and you got to think about a lot of these financial institutions, you know, it's nine to five. You can't call when you get home from work at 8 p.m. That's right. Or, right, right. you know, before you drop the kids off at 7.30 in the morning in a lot of these instances. So it's, it's a big time commitment. The next thing I want people to think about is can you act impartially? You as executor represent the estate and you have to treat everyone equally. You have to treat everybody with an interest in this estate the same, hmm. whether it's a stepmom that maybe you've had a tough relationship with or a brother that you haven't spoken to, you know, in a couple years, or it could be somebody maybe you haven't even met that right. your parent wanted to leave a particular piece of jewelry to, you know, all these things. And, and it can be very difficult to divorce your personal feelings from these issues, especially if it's a close family member, you know, you're mourning. Right, right. And so let me, Forgive yeah, me, let, let me let me press time out here because this is really good. And here's a question that I have. So someone's listening to you and saying, okay, I agree. I have to be impartial. You're also talking about the complexity of an estate here. How many heirs? How many people do you have to reach out to? Mm -hmm. If someone's listening to you and they're wondering, these questions are great. And then they want to know how complex my estate is so I can answer the questions that you're getting. How would they go about answering that? Is it, is it a simple process? Do, are they just looking at the will? How do they determine how complex the estate is? You know, this is a really interesting one because it's a little bit of a catch-22. Generally, banks and other financial institutions will not hand over information about a deceased person's assets until you have court paperwork. That's right, right. But you don't always necessarily know if you want or even need to be appointed as executor until you have a better sense of all of the assets. Right. So every estate is going to be different. There are some things that probably you're going to be able to tell right away. Did mom own her house? Were you joint on bank accounts with mom? So you have access to at least some banking records. The other thing too is sometimes it's a waiting game and you wait for the mail to arrive at mom or dad's house and see hmm. what statements they get from what financial institutions. So a, a lot of times we're guessing in some respects as to what all is out there, but you are not going to know until you qualify, until you get a credit report for the deceased person, until you search unclaimed property, and really just until enough time has passed that you're confident that you've gotten and have knowledge about everything that's out there. Okay, that's good. So Marissa, let's say someone does that, they qualify, they, they come into an incredibly complex estate and then have this thought, I don't wanna be an executor. What happens then? Can they, can they give over those duties? Can someone else be appointed as an executor? I know our listeners are asking that question. Once you qualify, you cannot terminate the administration of the estate. So that means that you can't say, never mind, there's not actually a probate estate here. Right. We're not going to file anything. That you cannot do. But right. you can, with the court's permission, which is usually liberally granted, resign as executor and appoint someone else. Okay, so here's what we've got. So you want to know if you want to do this, 
And underneath that, you've got a, a, a essential question. How much time do you have? And then the next question after that you said was, can you be impartial? So what, what's third? What's fourth? Are there any others? The third is more practical. And that's when you think about, is your appointment as executor in the best interest of the estate? So what does that mean? That means in Virginia, if you do not reside here in the state of Virginia, no matter what your will says, you have to post a surety bond before you qualify. Now that means that you get bonded with a surety company and then the estate pays an annual bond premium that is based upon the size of the estate. So it is an expense of the estate that isn't always contemplated. Now, depending on the size of the estate, it can be small or it can be larger and a person's individual credit generally is what the surety company uses to determine whether or not somebody qualifies for a bond. So you need to look at your personal financial history to see mm -hmm. if it's something that you can qualify for. Now, what, what, who, for listeners that are listening right now, Marissa, and thinking surety bond, what is a surety bond? How would you define surety bond? A surety company stands behind you as executor and makes a promise to the court that if you as executor do something wrong, the surety company will repay the estate whatever amounts the court determines were improperly spent or dissipated. Hopefully, you know, your listeners will find it helpful. The issue is it is so individual for every estate and every person. So while these are really great initial questions, you know, if when I meet with a person, I'm asking a lot more than just these That's things. Right as right. they're talking to me. So I would really recommend before somebody steps in and takes on this liability, they talk through it with a professional. Agree wholeheartedly. Okay. Is there, are there any other questions, Marissa, that they should be asking if, when they're thinking through whether or not to act as an executor? Well, one of the big considerations it's, not so much a question for yourself, but, but an implication of serving as executor are the, the burdens and liabilities that you take on when assuming this role. So what does that mean? When you become an executor in Virginia, you are taking on responsibility to ensure that all of the deceased's assets are distributed appropriately. So that all of the bills are getting paid, that all of the taxes are getting filed and paid, that all of the distributions are going to the correct beneficiaries in the correct proportions. If those things aren't done correctly, mm -hmm. you can be found personally liable. Yep. Another thing that is unique about Virginia is once you qualify, there is no real end to that liability in a concrete way. If a claim arises against an estate far in the future, an executor still has a responsibility to answer for it. Okay, now, so the claim, you know, the claim is probably highly defensible. Yeah. Because 
say however long it is passed, but you as executor still remain responsible for for defending the estate. And when you say far into the future, Marissa, what do you mean? Well, some a uh, saying that I've heard in in Virginia is that once you're an executor, you're executor for life. Wow. And there are certain ways that you can help limit your liability and foreclose some claims that uh, may be brought, but in general, you need to be prepared and be aware that you are essentially responsible for this person's assets for the foreseeable future. That's a, that's a big decision and that's a significant implication. I want to go here, Marissa. We've talked about whether or not you want to do it. We've talked about whether or not you can be impartial. Here's a question. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on what are the implications, additional implications, if you haven't already mentioned them, I don't want to ask you to repeat yourself, but if there are things that you can expand on with this question, please do so. What are the additional implications of being an executor that maybe you haven't already touched upon? One important thing that I want to touch upon, and I am not a CPA or, or a tax preparer. However, there are tax implications for being an executor. As an executor, you are responsible for filing tax returns for the deceased person. So that includes any final income tax returns they have for their last year of life, as well as fiduciary income taxes. Now, fiduciary, fiduciary income taxes are different from the federal estate tax. The federal estate tax is based upon a certain asset level that is you know, very high and most estates do not reach it. However, there are also income taxes for estates. And if you, as an estate, receive more than $600 in income per year, the estate has a responsibility to file a fiduciary income tax. Right. And so that's something that a lot of folks aren't always aware of. And again, it goes back to that personal liability. If you do not do it, if you do not pay those taxes and the estate, for whatever reason, cannot cover the fees, you may be found personally liable. So are there any other main questions other than whether or not someone wants to be an executor that they should consider? Aside from the wanting and the sort of sub questions that we have underneath it, really you want to you know, make sure that you within your family are the correct person to be doing this. So a lot of folks make wills and they don't necessarily update them yearly or even every five years or even every 10 years. And you maybe could be named, but your sister has been living with mom for the past three years and paying all of her bills and knows everything that's happening in her life and all of her assets. Even though you might be named, it might be better for, from the estate's perspective for your sister to do it purely from a knowledge standpoint. So it's, it's looking at you know, the practicalities of the family relationship. 
Now, you mentioned this just a minute ago. I'd love to come back to it. You said that it helps to have someone with you to protect you from some of these pitfalls. Question I'd love to ask you, Marissa, is what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making repeatedly uh, as they're seeking to resolve an estate? Absolutely. So one of the big issues that I see is people qualifying as executors too early. And now I don't mean too early as in you should have done it a week later. I mean too early as in you did not have a good sense of all of the obligations, all of the assets, you know, all of the debts. So there in Virginia is no time limit by which you need to qualify. A lot of people think they need to do it the day after the funeral or as soon mm -hmm. as they get the death certificate. There isn't a rush. Obviously, every case is different and it's a case-by-case -case basis, but as a general rule of thumb, you have some time gather the mail, talk to family, get an idea of everything you're working with, talk to a professional, and then you can together make the decision of whether, one, you are the right person to qualify, and two, whether your qualification is necessary. That's really good. Now, Marissa, is, is there a an allowable time limit for an executor? So if, they, if there's no rush to begin, is there a, a hard stop? for when it should end? So do you mean in terms of when the uh, estate administration should, Correct. how many years you can administer the estate? Correct. So in Virginia, there is not. Back when I was working at the commissioner's office, you know, every once in a while, we would see an estate that had been open eight, 10 years. Wow. That's not the norm. And it, it shouldn't be what you're going with. I would say the average from what I see is approximately two years. If you are going longer than the commissioner thinks is reasonable, given the particulars of your estate, he might make an inquiry and try to get an idea of what is slowing down the process. So you'll have to explain yourself with the court, but that being said, there is no statutory deadline of you have to wrap this thing up in X number of years. Are there any other mistakes that you see executors making? Yes. Executors in Virginia are entitled to compensation for their work. Like I have made, I hope very clear, it is a hard job. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So they are rightfully due compensation. However, the way compensation is calculated can be complex and there are certain offsets that are sometimes considered so i would always recommend fiduciaries not to take any compensation without consulting with their attorney and then i think the the third big mistake we see is payment of creditors either mm. paying too early or paying in the wrong priority if an estate, oh, go ahead. Me, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, if an estate is in any danger of having more debts than it has assets, you have to be very, very careful about the money that goes out of that estate account. 
because there are strict rules about the creditors that you pay in what amounts and in what order. Hmm. And if you pay outside of those parameters, you can be found personally liable to the creditors that didn't get paid because you paid somebody else incorrectly. Right. So that's always a really tricky circumstance and we always strongly caution people against paying creditors until you're absolutely sure you have a full picture of the liabilities for an estate. That's great, Marissa. And for some of our listeners that would uh, find what this next phrase I'm about to say a bit new, can you expand on the debts and demand hearing? Absolutely. So the debts and demands hearing is an optional hearing before the commissioner of accounts. It's a procedure that helps protect an estate from unknown creditors. And once the hearing is held and the commissioner issues a report, <coughs> it stops additional creditors from being able to bring claims against the estate. So the debts and demands hearing combined with a show cause hearing for creditors before the circuit court can help protect the estate from any creditors that are out there that maybe they're not aware of and helps give them some protection to distribute to beneficiaries. That's excellent, Marissa. So let me, let, let's go to this. What about some alternatives? People are listening and they're thinking, I don't want to be an executor. I don't think I have the time. I don't think I can be impartial. Maybe somebody's even listening and they want to resign. So what are some alternatives that people could look to given what they've heard you say already? In terms of alternatives, you have to look at your estate documents. If there is a will and there is a successor executor named, generally if you resign, that successor is the person that is next in line to right. qualify. Right. Now there are certain exceptions, of course, if for whatever reason that person is not a reasonable alternative, <clears throat> but generally that that's the person that the court will look to, to qualify if you cannot. If you have no will, if the person died without any estate document, then the closest heir at law is the person that has priority to serve. So generally heirs at law are a spouse, if a person was married, or a child, if someone was widowed or divorced but has living children. Beyond that, it sort of goes up and out the family tree. Okay. But if you have a situation where, for example, mom passed away and dad died four years before and they have three children, those three children have priority to serve if there is no will. And if the children decide that they don't want to do it or they only want one of them to do it, they can waive their right to qualify in favor of the other individual. So another sibling, maybe another family member, 
or for a corporate entity. Our law firm often serves as administrator for an estate when a family is spread all across the country or is unable to qualify for a surety bond or they're just not ready to take on the liability and the responsibility. That makes sense. Now, I'm just curious, Marissa, could you speak to that option and what that might entail if someone is looking at that as an attractive option or an attractive alternative compared to the, the rest of the ones that you've already mentioned? So it's a fairly straightforward process. If you have not qualified, if no one has started any administration for the estate, in Fairfax County, there is a waiver of qualification form that the named executor completes and they waive in favor of either the co-executor or successor that is named or in favor of you know, the, the other third-party individual that they want to name. They sign it before a notary and then they give it to the person that they want to qualify. Then that person, say it's me or my law firm, takes the waiver to court along with the other documents needed to qualify and the, the named person is, is out. They don't have to take any other action. Now, if you're already serving as executor and you want to resign, generally the way that's done is through a court order. But if all parties can agree that they want to resign and they want to name someone else, generally a court appearance is not necessary and you can submit a court order to judges chambers for entry and then the person that's resigning is uh, is no longer executor now they will still remain liable on a bond if they do have a bond and they'll still be liable for filing any inventories or accounts with the commissioner that cover the tenure of the time they were serving but upon you know, completion of a, a final account for their time as executor, they will be done and the successor will take over. That's really helpful. That's really helpful. What's one resource, Marissa, that you would recommend for our listeners if they reside in Fairfax, Virginia? What's one resource you'd recommend? Well, here in Fairfax, you know, we have a, an excellent commissioner of accounts. I'm biased, certainly. Uh, but uh, you know, his, his website has so much information for folks that are considering qualifying or who have already qualified or have questions. So I would recommend checking out his website, which was uh, fairfaxcommissionerofaccounts.org. And the commissioner also holds monthly outreach meetings for fiduciaries. They generally take a question and answer format. And he is you know, happy to share his wide breadth of knowledge on all of these issues and get your questions answered there. That's great. And Marissa, before we move on to a fun question that we always ask, are there any additional tips that you would encourage our listeners to know or understand? One thing that I always want to impart is you're dealing with, with a really tough intersection of emotions whenever somebody passes away. Mm -hmm. You're dealing 
with grief, family, and money. And when those things come together, it can be really difficult. And people, I, I always want folks to know and to be aware that things can quickly get, get difficult. And so it is better to be cautious and to be careful than to you know, go full steam ahead. So if you, here's the, the last question, and uh, it's a question we ask all the guests on the show, but if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to hundreds upon hundreds of people in probate, what would it say and why? Hmm. It would say, don't be afraid to ask for help. Good. That's clear and that's simple right there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Marissa, how can our listeners get in touch with you? How, how can they find out more information if they wanted to talk to you about anything that they're experiencing as they seek to resolve an estate or have any questions whatsoever? How do they connect with you? So the best way to talk with me is by phone. And you know, our phone number here at the office is 703 790 one nine zero zero. You know, I generally find a phone conversation is a lot smoother and a lot easier than email. You know, we can have a back and forth and I can get information about you and your family and we can drill down and figure out the best plan to move forward for your particular circumstance. That's excellent, Marissa. Well, Marissa, on behalf of the entire probate navigator tribe, Thank you for taking some time and stopping by. It was a phenomenal show. Uh, thank you for the clarity and wealth of knowledge that you were you brought this afternoon. Very grateful. Oh, well, thank you. It was a lot of fun. If you enjoyed my conversation with Marissa, please be sure to let us know. You can connect with me on Twitter at I am Jonathan SM. Be the first to listen to future episodes as well as previous episodes by subscribing to The Probate Navigated Show. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever your favorite pod platform is. For everyone listening, you can find links to everything discussed, the questions included, and Marissa's contact information in the show notes at medium.com forward slash at probate journal. That is medium.com forward slash at probate journal. And until next time, and as always, thank you for listening and have a great week. Bye-bye.